because we can we can learn much from what he had to say to these churches. Now, last week I gave you an introduction and then we began the book, uh, not the book, but the church uh, at Ephesus. I just don't have time to review and go through everything we said last week. So it's on the Internet. Uh, you can get, you know, get caught up if you go to the Internet, go to pastor's messages and you can can hear last week's uh, message. Uh, but so we'll just pick up where we left off last week. I will say this, though, in review, uh, there are seven churches that uh, the Lord Jesus addressed through the Apostle John in Asia Minor, modern day Western Turkey. And I think there's a um, there's a map that that we have and the churches uh, are listed there. You can kind of see where they're located. And there's uh, there's seven of them, you know, Ephesus, Smyrna. Pergamus, Pergamum, Thyatira, Sardis, Philadelphia, Laodicea. And there's a map and that will kind of give you an idea of where they're located and so on. But remember that as Jesus addressed these seven churches, each one he gave a greeting to. And then you notice an attribute of Jesus. He complimented where he could compliment. He corrected where correction needed to be given. He would give a warning to those churches that needed a warning to repent and then a promise, a promise or a, a, a promise to the overcomer. And that was pretty much what he did to each of the seven churches. One thing that we pointed out is that to each of the churches, he said this, he said, I know your works. So he's in the midst of the church. We need to realize that Jesus was not just in the midst of the church back 2000 years ago. He's in the midst of the church today. And of course, people say, well, that's, you know, that's just the church universal. No, these were local churches, seven local churches. Some of them were very large. The church in Ephesus was a mega church, had about 20 to 30,000 members in it. Okay, some of these churches were very small. And Jesus saw all of the churches as equally important. It didn't, didn't matter what the size was to him. A lot of times we'll look at size, but Jesus isn't looking at, at that. You need to realize that. He was just as concerned about the large churches as he was the smaller ones. And he said to each of the churches, I know your works. So Jesus knows your works and he knows my works. And not just our works, what we're doing here at the church, but what we're doing in private. You need, you need to realize that. And so he wants each church to be a working church. And then he said to each of the churches, he who has an ear to hear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. He wants each church to be a hearing church. We need to hear what it is the Spirit of God is saying to us through the, through the written word. And then to each of the churches, he said, he that overcomes. He wants all of the churches he wants his church to be an overcoming, a victorious church. So with that in, in, in review, in uh, Revelation chapter 2 and verse 1, he said to the angel of the church at Ephesus, write. Now, angel we brought out last week is the pastor. So Jesus gave a message to John who was exiled to the Isle of Patmos, and uh, which is about 30 miles off the coast of where those churches were located. And uh, remember, they boiled John in oil and they could not harm him. And it scared the emperor so bad that he had John exiled to the Isle of Patmos. You, you need to realize that. And uh, so while John was at the Isle of Patmos, Jesus appeared to him and gave him messages to the seven churches. 
And uh, and actually it was the book of Revelation. But then each church before Jesus gave the book of Revelation chapters four to, I guess, what is it? Twenty two to each of the churches. He had a special message, a individual message to each of the churches. So here we are, the church of Ephesus. He says to the angel or the pastor of the church of Ephesus, right? These things says he who holds the seven stars. Remember, those stars were the pastors, the pastors of, of the churches. You say, how do you know that, Pastor Terry? All you have to do is look at the last verse of chapter one. And the Bible tells us that the uh, the stars were symbolic of the pastors and Jesus was holding them in his right hand. And then who walks in the midst of the seven golden lampstands. Remember, the lampstands were the seven churches. Okay, and so he writes and and notice what he says to the church in Ephesus. It's a mega church. Talked about the background of it last week. Here's what he says. I know your works, your labor, your patience, that you cannot bear those who are evil. See, Jesus, first thing he does is. See, Jesus, when he comes on the scene, he doesn't look for fault. He looks for ways to compliment and, and looks for the good. We need to be the same way. He also points out any negative things that, you know, he does that later. But he says, I know your works, your labor, your patience, that you cannot bear those who are evil. And notice what he commends them for. And you have tested those who say they are apostles and are not and have found them liars. Now, Jesus commended this church for testing what they were hearing preachers preach. And we need to be the same way. We need to, you need to, whenever you hear a minister preach, including myself, you need to weigh what that minister says against the word of God. You just need to do that. It pleases Jesus when you do that. He says, you've tested those who say they are apostles and are not and have found them liars. You need to realize this church at Ephesus was very pure doctrinally, very pure. There was there was there was basically I mean, there was no error that got through the pul- I mean, they wouldn't let preachers in the pulpit to preach. Unless they tested them first. Do you understand that? They would not let ministers in the pulpit to preach unless they tested them first. And when I say tested, they tested their doctrine to see what it is they believed and to see what it is that they were going to teach to the to that congregation. And and this is something that pleased Jesus. How many of you know we shouldn't be listening to just every preacher? You understand that? And you need to know this just because somebody's on television doesn't mean that God approves of what they're saying. You need to know that. OK, you need to test what it is that you're hearing against the word of God. That's something that pleases Jesus. And so the, they, they, they tested the, the, the preachers before they ever got in a pulpit to be sure that they were in line with the word of God. This was a church, the church in Ephesus, doctrinal purity. Um, they wouldn't let people get up and just tell stories either and just give a what we would think of as some sort of a a, a, just a bunch of storytelling. You need to realize that if you were going to get into this church 
and preach in Ephesus, you had to be armed with the word of God. You had to teach the word of God to the congregation or you would. Let me put it this way. They weren't going to let any entertaining speakers into, into the pulpit. Did you hear just what I said right there? OK, you, you need to realize that. OK. The, the pulpit is for the word of God to come out. Not for a bunch of jokes and entertainment. Do do, do you understand that? You need to understand that. You don't come to church to get entertained. You come to church to hear the word of God. And that's sad that in America so much of it is entertainment from pulpits anymore. It's very sad. One reason we need to pray. Did you hear me? So, I want to just... It just seemed good to the Spirit of God to show you why this church was so doctrinally pure. If you have your Bibles, go to Acts 20, verse 29. Remember, this church was founded by the Apostle Paul. We covered that last week. And one of the, well, the last thing that he told the elders of the church of Ephesus was this in verse 29, Acts 20, 29. For I know this, that after my departure, savage wolves will come in among you, not sparing the flock, not sparing the members of the church. Also from among yourselves, men will rise up speaking perverse things to draw away the disciples after themselves. Therefore, watch. Paul warned the leaders of this church. He said, I have to go away now. Remember, Paul was there for some three, three and a half years, give or take. And and upon his last message to the elders of this church, he said, you know, he warned them, hey, savage wolves are going to come in. He's talking about preachers are going to come in and not spare the flock, not spare the people. And they're going to rise up and speak perverse things. Teach you things that are out of line with the word of God to to try to draw you away from your walk with Jesus. He said, therefore, watch. And then on top of that, remember, I told you last week, who was the pastor of the church at Ephesus? Does anybody know who the lead pastor was? It was Timothy. It was Timothy. And notice in first Timothy, chapter one, verse three, notice what Paul, because Paul was Uh, Timothy's spiritual father. And notice what Paul just pounded into Timothy. Notice here, uh, 1 Timothy 1 verse 3, he says, notice what Paul tells Timothy. And, And you'll see why the church at Ephesus was so doctrinally pure. He says, as I urged you when I went into Macedonia, he says to Timothy, remain in Ephesus that you may charge some that they teach no other doctrine." Nor give heed to fables, storytelling, endless genealogies which cause disputes rather than godly edification which is in faith. And then notice 1 Timothy 4 verse 6. 1 Timothy 4 verse 6. He says to this pastor, Timothy, he says, if you instruct the brethren in these things, he's talking about sound doctrine, you'll be a good minister of Jesus Christ, nourished in the words of faith and of good doctrine. Real loud say good doctrine. Good doctrine. Doctrine is just teaching. See, good teaching, which you have carefully followed. Notice, but reject, reject profane and old wives fables and exercise yourself towards godliness. 
Notice, if you would, 1 Timothy chapter 4, verse 13. I'm going to read this in the New Living Translation. 1 Timothy 4.13, New Living Translation. Notice what Paul tells Timothy. He says, until I get there, focus on reading the scriptures to the church. Reading the scriptures to the church. What did he tell Timothy to do? Stand in front of his church, stand in his pulpit and read the scriptures. You know, there's a lot of people in this hour that would find that to be absolutely boring. But how many of you know it pleases God and that's what he wants done? You see how far you see how far this nation, at least what I know anything about, I'm sure this happens in a lot of good churches. But you see how far we've gotten away from what God wants us to, to be. He wants a minister to stand in the pulpit and read the Bible to the church and teach from the Bible. Not stand up with a. Some kind of an entertaining type sermon. How many of you know the entertaining type stuff won't break the power of the devil over your life? How many of you know the entertaining jokes and storytelling, as entertaining as it is, won't run the devil off, won't run sickness off in the midnight hour? Is that right? Is that right or not? He said, focus on reading the scriptures to the church. Focus on that. And then he says, encouraging the believers. Should a pastor be encouraging? Yes, definitely. No doubt about it. There should be much encouragement, but there should also be much reading of the scriptures. And what? Teaching them. See, this all needs to be in a a pulpit. There needs to be the reading of the scriptures, encouragement to the believers, and teaching. Notice, if you would, uh, 1 Timothy 6, verse 3. 1 Timothy 6.3, back to the New King James Version, says, If anyone teaches otherwise and does not consent to wholesome words... See, Paul is beating this into Timothy. That's why the, the pulpit at Ephesus, that's why the, it was so doctrinally pure. Watch this. If anyone teaches otherwise and, is, and does not consent to wholesome words, even the words of our Lord Jesus Christ, into the doctrine which accords with godliness, he is proud... Knowing nothing, obsessed with disputes and arguments over words. That actually means quibbling over the meanings of words. From which some, uh, from which come envy, strife, reviling, evil suspicions, useless wranglings of men of corrupt minds and destitute of the truth. Who suppose that godliness is a means of gain. And then the new King James, King James says, from such withdraw yourself. Notice this, who suppose that godliness is a means of gain. You need to realize that basically all of the prosperity teachers that are on television, some of the biggest names that you've ever heard, Paul, Timothy, would not let them stand in the pulpit at Ephesus. And teach the congregation. Did you hear what I just said? That's very sobering, isn't it? How many of you believe in prosperity? I believe in it. How many of you believe God wants to meet all your needs according to his riches and glory by Christ Jesus? I believe that. I do. 
But when a minister is talking from the pulpit about how big his house is. That his furniture in his house costs more than his house itself. Talking about what kind of cars he drives. What kind of jets he flies. Talking about how he needs such and such of a jet. Or needs such and such of a of a car. Talking about his watches. I have a nice watch. Do I talk to you about my watch? Other than I'm using it as an illustration. God's blessed me with a nice watch. Do, you, do I ever talk about it? Do I or don't I? No. Yes or no? no? When you have ministers talking about their big house, their cars, their expensive suits, their jewelry, their watches, their... Those ministers are to be... Avoided. You've got to be real. And I feel impressed to say this. You've got to be real careful about money. Real careful about it. Because I've watched this over the years. I've watched good ministers who once stood in the pulpit and this their central focus was the word of God. How many of you know if you stay on the word of God, it'll bring prosperity. But if you're not so watchful, it's so easy to get off of the word of God. And instead of letting the word of God be the central focus, prosperity itself becomes the central focus. Did you know you can make a God out of anything? I've watched people who God has called to prayer. Just just it's so subtle. But, you know, you can make you can make prayer your God instead of. Who you're praying to, your God, who's supposed to be God. Did you get what I just said? You can make God out of prayer. You can make a God out of faith. You can make a God out of anything. Did you, did you understand it? You've got to be so careful. But you've got to be extra careful with money. The Bible says the love of money is the root of all kinds of evil. And if you read on here and read in other, uh, there's another place I believe you can read where it says that, 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 that when you get off where, it, where, where, where money's concerned... If it's not handled properly, you can get off and it can draw you away from your faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. Did you hear what I just said? And so I believe in prosperity. But you need to realize when when people stand in a pulpit and say, if you'll give such and such, you're going to get such and such back. Did you know that's not even scriptural? Now I, now, I believe in giving and receiving. Say giving and receiving. But the motive is not in the getting. The motive is in the what? Is in the giving. And then I believe God to receive, certainly. But that's not my focus. My focus is how I can be a blessing. And so many, so many of these prosperity ministers, if you really get down and look at it, it's no different than a Las Vegas slot machine. You put in so, so much money into my ministry and then you're going to get so much money back out, so to speak. And you notice over the many years, so many people don't ever get, the only one that's getting richer is the guy that's doing the preaching. Now let's just be honest about it. Did you hear what I just said? Now love me, hate me, whatever, but... 
the Apostle Paul, the Holy Spirit through the Apostle Paul warned Timothy to not let those kind of people stand in his pulpit. Did you get what I just said? Yeah, but his name, do you know who that is? Doesn't matter. Doesn't matter who it is. What are they saying? What are they preaching? You okay? Are you alright? Or don't shout me down now just because I'm preaching real good, as one minister said. You, are you sure you're okay with that? Yep. Sobering, isn't it? Second Timothy 2.14. Second Timothy 2.14. Remind them of these things. Paul tells Timothy. Charging them before the Lord not to strive about words to no profit. To the ruin of the hearers. See, you can hear things that if it's not right, it can ruin you. You don't want to be ruined, do you? So you need to be sure you stay under sound doctrine. Be diligent to present, to present yourself approved to God, a worker, a worker who does not need to be ashamed, rightly dividing the word of truth. Well, if the word of truth, the word of God can be rightly divided, it can also be wrongly divided. So you want somebody who's dividing right, teaching you. And then he says, but shun profane and idle babblings, for they'll increase to more ungodliness, and their message will spread like cancer. Nobody wants cancer, do they? You want spiritual cancer? No, then you need to be sure you're sitting under a minister who is teaching you the word of God. How many of you know no minister is perfect, including myself? We can all miss it. But you see, that's why you need a Bible. That's why you need to examine what it is I'm teaching and anybody's teaching you to be sure that, that you don't get infected with something that's, that's not right. I've watched good churches over the years. They were so good and they and they let some they let some false teaching get in there and that thing spread through the church and it just ruined the whole thing in the process of time. And then he says their message will spread like cancer. And then Paul does something that I've not ever done. He called some names. Hymenius and Philetus are of this sort. He warned the people. He called some names. Who have strayed concerning the truth, saying that the resurrection is already past, which we know it ha- it's not already past, but that's what they were saying way back 2,000 years ago. And notice what they did with their false teaching. They overthrew the faith of some. You don't want your faith overthrown, do you? Well, that's what will happen if you don't stay under good teaching. Look at 2 Timothy 4, verse 2. Look at that very quickly. 2 Timothy 4, 2. I'm going to read this in the Amplified. 2 Timothy 4, 2. Notice what Paul told Timothy. Herald and preach the word. Keep your sense of urgency. Stand by. Be at hand and ready. Whether the opportunity seems to be favorable or unfavorable. Whether it is convenient or inconvenient. Whether it's welcome or unwelcome. You as a preacher of the word are to show people in what way their lives are wrong. Now, that's not going to draw a real big crowd right there, is it? But is that the Bible? Convince them, rebuking and correcting. That's not going to draw a big crowd, is it? Warning and urging and encouraging. That needs to be there, too. Encouraging. 
being unflagging and inexhaustible in patience and teaching. For the time is coming when people will not tolerate endure sound and wholesome instruction, but having ears itching for something pleasing and gratifying, they will gather to themselves one teacher after another to a considerable number chosen to satisfy their own liking and to foster the errors that they hold. And will turn aside from hearing the truth and wander off into myths and man-made fictions. Look at verse 3 in the Message Bible. I think we ought to throw verse 3 in the Message Bible. Look at this. You're going to find that there will be times when people will have no stomach for solid teaching. They won't, they won't show up to hear solid teaching. But will fill up on spiritual junk food. Catchy opinions that tickle their fancy. That's why the pulpit at Ephesus was so pure. Because Paul beat this into young Timothy. I'm glad he did, aren't you? Now, you can see that their pulpit was very sound doctrinally. And that's good. But Jesus pointed out the good. But now, we're going to get into something. And I'm going to show you what over the course of a hundred years, shut this good church down. You mean this church that had such good doctrine and such good teaching was shut down? Jesus shut this church down? Yes, it took about a hundred years, but Jesus, how many of you know Jesus is the only one that can really open the doors of a church and he's the only one that can really close the doors? And he opened the doors of this church through the Apostle Paul. And some hundred years later, he, Jesus, shut this place down. And we're going to find out why. It's not because it had good teaching. It had good teaching, but there was another problem. We want to talk about that right now. Look at verse 3, Revelation 2, verse 3. Jesus says, you've persevered, you've had patience. You've labored, labored for my name's sake and have not become weary. Nevertheless, I have this against you, that you have left your first love. Who is our first love? Jesus. Now, I want to read this in the New Living Translation, because it brings out more even yet that we need to see. But I have this complaint against you. You don't love me or each other as you did at the first you fall out of love with Jesus, that's the most important thing that you don't do that. But when you fall out of love with Jesus, it's going to affect the way you treat other people as well. And this this church had such sound doctrine in it. Good teaching. But in the process of time, they fell out. They, they fell out of love with Jesus and they didn't love him anymore like they did at the first. And then as a result of that, they weren't walking in love towards one another. And in verse 5, New King James Version, verse, remember, Jesus says, remember from where you have fallen, repent. Real loud, say repent. Say, say repent like you mean it. Repent. repent. Would Jesus tell the church to repent? Yeah, he told, uh, I think, five of these seven churches, if I'm not mistaken, to repent. That means they have a change of heart. Turn and go the right way. He said, remember from where you fall, repent and do the first works or else I'll come to you quickly and remove your lampstand. What is that lampstand? He said, I, he said, repent or I'll come to you quickly 
hundred years seems long to us, to Jesus, not very long. He said, I'll come to you quickly and remove your lampstand or I'll shut your church down. But then look at the heart of Jesus. Unless you what? Unless you repent. He's always looking for us to repent. Let's read uh, verse 5 in the New Living Translation. Look how far you have fallen. Turn back to me. Do the works that you did at first. If you don't repent, I'll come and remove your lampstand. I'll shut your church down from its place among the churches. Pretty sobering, isn't it? You see, the church at Ephesus started out walking in love toward Jesus and toward each other, but they eventually fell out of love with, with him and each other, as I've said. Now listen very carefully. Everybody look up here and listen very carefully. Something that can occur when you're judging doctrine. It's very easy to get out of love and become judgmental of those preaching the false doctrine. Did you get what I just said? When you're judging What you're being taught, that's a good thing. But when you become judgmental towards the preacher, that's a bad thing. And that's something I've had the Holy Ghost deal with me about over the years. Because, you see, I'll see these different preachers teaching things that are just blatantly out of line with the Word of God. And I get so passionate about it. And I get in the pulpit at the direction of the Holy Spirit. And I bring, I don't call names, but I bring instruction to you. But I get so frustrated with some of these people that it's that judging the doctrine is a good thing. But then... When you when you get so passionate about it that you get over into being judgmental. Now, how many of you know that's a bad thing? And I've had the spirit of God deal with me on that over the years. You know, you know get up, teach the truth. Tell me, he'll tell me, you know, get up, teach the truth. You correct error with truth. Did you know that? That's how you correct error with truth. That's how you do it. And but but don't 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 get on and tear the minister down. Just. Teach the truth and that'll correct the error that the guy is teaching and and that's what the congregation needs. But you've probably seen it in me over the years. Sometimes I'll almost step over that line where and and that's out of love. Did you did you get that? And that's, I think, what was happening here in this church. They had such pure doctrine. But when you're judging doctrine, it's that's a good thing. But it's so easy to become judgmental in the midst of that and get out of love. And that's where you got the problem. And that's what I think was happening here. And it's interesting, Paul, the apostle in the book of Ephesians, and we won't turn there for the sake of time, but he warned this church in the book of Ephesians again and again and again and again and again to walk in love. Listen to what he said. Be, he said to the book, he said in the book of Ephesians, he said to these people, being rooted and grounded in love. He said, be rooted and grounded in love. He said, bear with one another in love. He said, speak the truth in love. How are we supposed to speak the truth? In love. See, the truth, that's sound, solid doctrine. That's sound, good, truth, right things. But when you speak it, you're supposed to do it in, in what? In love. He said to the, that the body of Christ should edify itself in love. He told this church in the book of Ephesians to walk in love. The last thing he said in the book of Ephesians, he said, Grace be with all those who love our Lord Jesus Christ in sincerity. 
So they were warned again and again and again and again and again and again. And not only that, but John, who was writing the book of Revelation, after he was released from the Isle of Patmos, he went back to Ephesus because that was his his home church. That's that's where he that's where he, he went to church. He went back there after being released from the Isle of Patmos. And apparently that's where he wrote first, second and third John. OK, first, second and third John. He wrote those three epistles, those letters from Ephesus where he emphasized 53 times in those three short books, 53 times John warned this church to walk in love. He used a form of love 53 times in those short little books of 1st, 2nd, and 3rd John. Now also in those three books, he warned them about good sound doctrine. He talked about, he said, don't believe every spirit, but test the spirits, whether they are of God. He said many false prophets have gone out into the world. He said, be careful about the, the, the spirit of error. He said to them, if anyone comes to you and does not bring this doctrine, don't receive them or greet them. He said that in 1st, 2nd, 3rd John. But he also, more importantly than that even, or as important, maybe more important, he warned them 53 different times in three short little books. Real loud, say, walk in love. He warned them to walk in love. How many of you know walking in love is important? Doctrinal purity is important, but walking in love is important also. And eventually, because they didn't repent and do this, it shut this church down. Jesus shut it down. It's interesting, John, when he was probably around 100 years old, he was feeble and the young men would carry him in the Ushers would carry him into the service and they wanted to hear what he would have to say about walking with Jesus and seeing those miracles that Jesus performed or what happened on the day of Pentecost. And, but when John was put up there on the platform to speak, what he would say to them is love one another, little children. And they would say to him after the service, why is it all you said? Why didn't you tell us about what, you know, Jesus casting out demons and healing the sick? He said, because love is the Lord's command and if we do that, it is enough. And as I said, some hundred years later, this great mega church eventually wilted and died and was no more. Jesus shut it down because they did not ultimately heed the instruction of Jesus through Paul in Ephesians and John right here in, in, in his writings, they didn't listen to what God told them to walk in love. Realize, say, walk in love. So doctrinal purity is important, but walking in love, I think, is more important, or equally as. It cost them, didn't it? We need to walk in love. Talking bad about people behind their backs, not walking in love. Treating people one way at church and then talking bad about them on the way home. That's not walking in love. It just isn't, guys, gals. It just isn't. Did you hear me? 
We need to walk in love. Because love never fails. Let me go on just a few more minutes. Verse 6. Because I want to talk to you about the overcomer. And then we'll, we'll be done for the day. Verse 6, he talks about the deeds of the Nicolaitans. He says, but this you have. So he's, now he's going to commend them for something good. You hate the deeds of the Nicolaitans, which I also hate. Now, let me just say this. Because of the doctrinal purity that they had in Ephesus, they avoided being, they avoided being infected by the doctrine of the Nicolaitans. But the church in Pergamos, as we'll see later, they were infected by the doctrine and the, and the deeds of the Nicolaitans. So I'm going to deal with what the Nicolaitans believed. I'm going to deal with that when we talk about the church in Pergamos. Okay? So we'll just hold that off till then. But what I wanted to do is I wanted to conclude talking about the overcomer. Verse 7. Jesus said, said he who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. To him who, what's that next word? Overcomes, I'll give to eat from the tree of life, which is in the midst of the paradise of God. So each church, Jesus talked about to the overcomer, I will give. And so there's a reward of the overcomer. Who is the overcomer? Now, I want you to listen very carefully. Please get this. Who is an overcomer? Let's look at 1 John 5, verse 1. Go to 1 John 5, verse 1. Because there's two aspects to being an overcomer. And since this comes up again and again and again throughout the churches of Revelation, when, when Jesus says at the end of addressing each church, he says, to, the over, to him who overcomes, I will give. We need to know what he's talking about. So let's get this here. 1 John 5, 1. Whoever believes that Jesus is the Christ is born of God. And everyone who loves him who begot also loves him who is begotten of him. So whoever loves the father loves the son. Okay. By this we know that we love the children of God when we love God and keep his commandments. For this is the love of God that we keep his commandments. His commandments are not burdensome. Now watch this. Verse 4. For whatever, or we could say, whoever is born of God overcomes the world. Did you get that? So now... Verse 1 says, whoever believes that Jesus is the Christ is born of God. Verse 4 says, whoever is born of God overcomes the world. So when you get born again, you become an overcomer. That's one aspect of it. You got that? Then there's another aspect of being an overcomer. And notice what verse 4 goes on to say. And this is the victory that overcomes the world, our faith, or even our faith. Who is he who overcomes the world, but he who believes that Jesus is the Son of God? So, the first aspect of overcoming is this. When you receive Jesus as your Savior, you get born again. When you believe on him, you get born again, and right there, you're an overcomer. Did you get that? So that's one aspect of being an overcomer. But then there's another aspect of being an overcomer, in that you rise up in the power of the Spirit and actually overcome. Now, did you get that? Are you sure you got that? When you believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and receive him as your savior, you get born again. And right there, you become an overcomer. You're an overcomer. You got that? But then there's another aspect of it where you rise up in the power of the spirit and actually overcome some things. Um, 
where you actually rise up and keep your flesh under control. You rise up and overcome the temptations of the world, the temptations of the devil. You stand strong during persecution. See? So one aspect of being an overcomer is it's just a free gift. You're an overcomer when you get born again. But then there's another aspect of it where you rise up in the power of the Spirit and you, and you actually overcome some things. I've got an illustration for you. Just bear with me. Two years ago, two years ago, well, let me put it this way. I got born again when I was a boy. I believed on the Lord Jesus Christ, received him. So let me ask you a question. Two years ago, was I going to heaven? Yes or no? Yeah. Was I an overcomer two years ago? Yes. Now, two years ago, I weighed, and I'm just using a weight example here because this is a good, good example. Because it's something that I've been able to overcome by the help of the Lord. Two years ago, did you say I was saved two years ago when I weighed? I weighed 230 pounds two years ago. Okay. Was I saved then? Yes. Now, this was my jacket, my suit coat, one of my suit coats two years ago. Now, two years ago, see that? Two years ago, this was skin tight on me, and I could barely wear it. I could barely get it buttoned. How many Bibles could I put in here? Let's see. I got room for, got room for one or two more. Think of that. Can you all see that in the back? See that? I mean, this was my suit coat. One of my suit coats from two years ago. See that? Now, let me ask you a question. Two years ago, I was an overcomer, right? Because I was born again. But as it pertains to putting my flesh under where it, where it has to do with eating wrong and not exercising, was I overcoming? Yes or no? I was an overcomer because I was born again, but I wasn't overcoming. Can't you see that? How many of you can see that? Can you see that? Can you see that? So what did I do? I was an overcomer, but I rose up in the power of the Spirit and trusted the Holy Spirit to help me to get my eating under control. That's not easy, guys, gals. That's not easy. You've got to deal with the lust of the eyes, the lust of the flesh. Huh? That's not easy to do. It, it's hard to, it's hard, that's, it's very difficult. I couldn't have done it in, in of myself. But, but you see, because God put the ability to overcome on the inside of me, I was able to rise up and, and start eating right, exercising every day. And two years comes and goes, I've lost 60 pounds. And now, was I going to heaven two years ago? Am I going to heaven now? Yeah. Now, was I an overcomer two years ago? Yes. Was I overcoming two years ago? Have I overcome now? Yes. Now, two years into it, you have to go on down. I have to. How long do I have to keep this up till either Jesus comes in the rapture or I die of natural causes as an old man? And then we'll see whether I ultimately overcame. Did you get what I just said? Now, I just use the weight example because that applies to me. And I don't want to draw attention to myself. But now, if I would have said, I want to show you all how I've overcome. 
Now, I may have overcome weight, but now I've got another problem. That would be pride. So, so I just wanted, did, did you get, did you see that? And so, so there's a difference between being an overcomer and actually overcoming. And as you get into the, these rewards, I'm almost done. As you get into these rewards, as we'll see over the next several weeks, some of these rewards, now, now some teachers will say that all of these rewards that we're going to talk about over the next several weeks, they're just, they're just a result of being born again, period. And I can see that. I can see that some people will tell you, some preachers will say, well, all of these rewards of the overcomer are a result of being born again and then us doing something. And, and I guys, there's some of these things that we're going to look at in here of these rewards that, that there's some of them that I just don't see. There's very much we can do to, to, re, to achieve them ourselves. It's just a free gift that God gave us. But there's some of them that we're going to look at as we go along that it's not just a matter of a free gift, but it is a matter of us rising up and overcoming some things whereby we'll get some of these rewards. Are you okay with that? So let's just look at this here. Uh, what did he say the reward in Ephesus was going to be? Verse 7, he who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says. Oh, by the way, I wanted to just say something before I forgot. Do you realize... Two years ago, I would ask certain people, not you, but, but, but other people, okay? I would ask them, I would ask them, hey, do you think I need to lose a little weight? And you know what every last one of them told me? No, pastor, you look great. You look wonderful. Now, I guess it was because people just didn't want to hurt my feelings. But uh, they were, speaking, were they speaking the truth in love? I don't know. But it's hard to tell the pastor that he's overweight, isn't it? But I would have wished somebody would have said, yeah, Pastor Terry, you could, you could lose a couple of pounds. I asked multiple people. I just said, because the Lord was dealing with me to lose weight, has been for many years, but I won't get into all that. And so I went up to some people. I said, I said how do I look? Do I need to lose some? Oh, no, you look great, Pastor Terry. You look just, just fantastic. And I go to my wife and I say, honey, do I need to lose some weight? I said, but so-and-so told me I look just fine. And she said, yeah, but so-and-so is nobody. She said, who's going to tell the pastor that he needs to lose weight? But I said, but I ask him. Liar, liar, pants on fire. She said that. I didn't. You getting anything out of this? So it says here, he who overcomes, I'll give to eat from the tree of life, which is in the midst of the paradise of God. How many like to have some fruit off of that tree? So you say, well, does this reward, is this a result of being born again? Or do we have to do something to, to achieve this? On this one here, I don't know what we could do to achieve this. This is a free gift from the Lord. If you don't believe me, we'll close with this. Look at Revelation 22, verse 14, New Living Translation, and then we're done. Revelation 22:14 says, Blessed are those who wash their robes. Now, how do you get your robe washed? We're talking about your spiritual robe. That's in the blood of Jesus, right? That's as a result of the new birth, isn't it? When you believe on the Lord Jesus Christ, the Holy Spirit is a spiritual thing now, not a natural thing, spiritual thing. The Holy Spirit washes us in the blood of Jesus. That's how you get your robes washed. That's a free gift. Isn't that a free gift? That's a free gift, isn't it? He says, 
Blessed are those who wash their robes. They will be they they will be permitted to enter through the gates of the city. Talking about heavenly Jerusalem, you know, that has come down upon the earth at that point. They'll be uh, permitted to enter through the gates of the city and eat the fruit from the tree of life. So it appears that this gift or reward of the overcomer is just a, just a free gift. How many of you know God's full of free gifts? There are some things we, we have to rise up in the power of the Spirit and do. How many of you know this weight thing? How many of you know that God helped me with this weight thing, but he, he didn't do it for me? I had, I had to just trust Him and rise up. And there's times, my wife will tell you, there's times that... I wanted to eat more. I wanted I wanted another bowl. I wanted another donut. I want, well, I didn't have any donuts. I wanted one donut. <laughs> but you know what I found out about this flesh? Is if you'll stand up against it. It's tough at first. But if the, the longer you stand against it, the easier it gets to overcome. And you know not everybody's troubled with weight. Some people are troubled with a, with a bad temper. Some people are troubled with gossiping. Some people... See, alcohol's never pulled at me. But food has pulled at me. Some people are tr- troubled with sexual things. Some people are troubled with... What? What do you think? All kinds of things. I was looking for something specific 